0: Hi friends, how are we doing today? Okay, thanks for coming to church. Thanks for those, to those of you who are joining us online. Today we continue a series we're calling The Cycle of Grace. The Cycle of Grace was introduced to me by Trevor Hudson. It's a mental model developed by British psychologist Frank Lake in the 1950s when Frank, alongside Swiss theologian Emil Bruner, observed burnout in missionaries let me explain they watched young well-meaning uh, ministers set out for the mission field with passion and with fervor and here's what I'm going to do for those of you who are watching and you're going to wonder what's going to happen right now but my wonderful glorious very strong iced tea just spilled all over my stand so this is what I'm going to do and it's going to do that instead of getting on my notes Worst things have happened to me today, friends. But I'm glad you came to church. Thanks for that empathy. I heard some empathy in the front. Good night. What was I talking about? Burnout and missionaries. So Lake and Bruner observed these young, well-meaning... Oh, thanks, my friend. They observed these young, well-meaning... Ministers set out for the mission field with passion and with fervor, eager to serve, eager to love. But invariably, many of those missionaries would return home bitter and broken. They became jaded and cynical about God and life. Now these scholars were deeply bothered by this and they wondered how could people do the work of Jesus without experiencing the peace of Jesus. Now, to answer that question, they immersed themselves in the Gospels. They studied how the first four books of the New Testament described the life of Jesus. As they did so, Lake and Bruner observed a pattern in the life of our Lord, which they called the cycle of grace. Now, we went over it in the first week of our series. Here, I'll just offer a brief overview. The cycle begins with acceptance. Jesus knows who he is and where he stands in relationship to God the Father. Lake and Bruner saw that before Jesus even began his ministry, he embraced his identity. At his baptism, God the Father proclaimed, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. In response, Lake and Bruner cautioned followers of Jesus against doing anything for God before having a strong sense of your identity in God. If you know, just like Jesus deep down, that God loves you before you've done anything, then your doing will never be about earning. Grace flows into the life of Jesus who embraces acceptance, his acceptance. Lake and Bruner labeled the second phase of the cycle of grace sustenance. They considered all the soul-filling activities which Jesus engaged in throughout the Gospels. And they observed Jesus built his life on a number of spiritual practices that sustained him, like prayer and solitude and reflecting on the Bible and worship. Thus, Lake and Bruner discerned our need for spiritual practices. If we want to live in the cycle of grace, then we've got to do things that bring us closer to God so God can work in us through those practices to shape us and strengthen us and fill us up. Amen. In the third phase, uh, we find significance. Like in Brunner observed how Jesus embraced his purpose as the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life, the great I am. But thus, the, the scholars concluded that we need to embrace our God-given purpose also. You see, you and I are born to to be God-bearers to the world. We're called to be active in God's mission of love and peace and joy and justice, bringing heaven on earth, bringing up there, down here. Finally, and Bruner designated the last phase of the cycle of grace achievement, but our friend Trevor calls it fruitfulness. We're talking about outcomes here. We're talking about results. Well, after considering the life of Jesus in the Gospels and contrasting it with the lives of the missionaries, Lake and Bruner concluded that the people in ministry who were getting burned out were not living in the cycle of grace. They were working through the cycle backwards, counterclockwise, against the flow of grace. They worked tirelessly to achieve and have fruitful outcomes so they could feel significant. And they hope that feeling of significance would sustain them and fill them up so others would accept them. Lake and Bruner called this the cycle of works. Now friends, in our attempt to make sure that we're going the right way around the cycle of grace, we've broken the cycle into parts. In the introduction of the series, looking at the cycle as a whole, I argued, if you want to live like Jesus lived, you have to do what Jesus did. Then we began taking each phase of the cycle one by one. In last week's message, we examined the acceptance phase as I reminded you that you are an irreplaceable individual with immeasurable value to God. Now today, as we consider sustenance this week, I hope to inspire you to follow the pattern laid out by Jesus and do something every day to connect to God. Before we go there, Will you pray with me? Lord, we sang about your greatness a few moments ago. And in your greatness, I pray today that you make yourself very real to us. I pray first for, for those of us who consider themselves followers of Jesus. I pray in our time together today We wouldn't just find another thing to add to our ever-growing to-do list. No, Lord, I pray we find life, abundant life. May you open our eyes to see the hope you're handing us. I I, I pray also for those here who, who may not know you, but they're curious. I pray for those of us who are asking questions, who, who are wondering if there's anything to a life of faith. Lord, may you help them to find, find enough faith today to put your words into practice and watch what happens. May you prove yourself faithful and wise to them as you have to so many of us. And we pray this in the name of King Jesus, who came that we might live. Amen. if I had a time machine, I'd take you back 40 years so you could come to Sunday school with me. My family attended a tiny little church. We didn't have a cafe. The music wasn't particularly good. But at that church, there were a handful of volunteers who took the time and talents that God gave them to teach me that I can trust Jesus. Jesus but perhaps the most powerful tool I received to to guide my young journey of faith was the spiritual practice of memorizing passages of the Bible now I've memorized many passages along the way but I especially remember the first one the first verse I remember committing to memory besides John 3.16 and Jesus wept has shaped my life to this day here it is Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Paul writes, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Paul says, whatever you do, whether that's pushing buttons, flipping burgers, or curing cancer, Paul's talking to stay-at-home parents who are trying to raise their kids without killing their kids. He's talking to middle school students learning algebra and reading the Scarlet Letter. Paul says, whatever you do, do it with everything in you. Put everything you've got into it because doing so can be an act of worship. My friend, you may think you report to upper management You may think you're accountable to an advisory committee or to shareholders, but the fact of the matter is your direct supervisor is Jesus. And friends, understanding that today will change the way you work tomorrow. Now, when I first committed this verse to memory as a child, and from that day forward, it has informed every aspect of my life. I applied this lesson to chemistry and calculus. I applied it to to drum lessons. I I apply it every day in my work here at Capitol as I pour myself into the tasks of the week whether preaching or plunging a toilet I believe those everyday responsibilities can be beautiful expressions of worship and friends verses like this make me want to work harder verses like this make me want to work faster but I wonder if verses like this can be taken too far is there such a thing as working too hard Biting off more than you can chew? Stressing and striving to prove yourself and earn your worth? I'm curious. Do we have any perfectionists in the room this morning? Yeah, you can raise your hands. Keep them up. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. God loves you. We don't. No, we see your failures and wish you'd work harder. But God loves you. Seriously, I think we can take this too far, can't we? (laughs) Here's another verse. I love this. I love this one. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Yes, yes throw yourself into the work that God is doing in and around your world give it your best energy your greatest focus yes but what about rest what about relaxation what about taking time for your soul do you push yourself too far do you expect too much from yourself how often do you give yourself permission to slow down to reflect to tend to the health of your heart now that may be hard for you especially if what you're doing is important many parents expect too much from themselves they they expect to be perfect parents with perfect kids with perfect pets who play the piano perfectly parents easily slide into perfection perfectionism I have seen this in teachers and coaches and counselors and doctors. I've seen this with pastors because the stakes are high. In ministry, one more meeting doesn't mean more money. In ministry, one more meeting could mean a marriage preserved or a soul saved. One more meeting might be the breath of life for someone who's longing for hope and healing. Yeah, I'm probably overstating the significance, but it feels like reality in the moment in ministry it's easy to believe that success means keep giving keep serving keep going until you've got nothing left to give oh it's easy to believe but I don't buy it some years ago we came up with a little axiom it's a saying we say around the church office I find myself saying it to a colleague about once a week you can't save the world You see, that's our compact way around capital to remind each other, we aren't God. We can't solve every problem. We can't meet every need. As much as we'd like to, we can't. There comes a point when we need to rest. There comes a point when we need to chillax. To use the urban vernacular as I'm prone to do. When I was a kid, uh, We used to have merry go rounds like this in public parks. You remember these things? Kids would pile on and drape themselves over the bars while two or three other kids on the ground would cling to the bars running round and round and round to see how fast we could make it spin before jumping on to enjoy the ride. Now, invariably, this endeavor of centrifugal science would conclude with the broken bodies of children flung far from the merry-go-round. This is why you can't find these things on playgrounds today. It's because of the concussions and the lawsuits. (laughs) But the thing about these merry-go-rounds was we loved going for the ride. We loved spinning and spinning and spinning until somebody barfed, or until the spinning stopped and we couldn't stand up straight. Friends, today, I want to talk to you about getting off the ride and getting your bearings before you barf. I want to talk to you about how to sustain your pace with grace. And to do so, I want to take you to Capernaum. Now, all three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us about encounters with Jesus in the town of Capernaum. Matthew writes about a Roman centurion who came to Jesus asking him to to heal his beloved servant. But I'm not going to take you to that story today. Mark and Luke tell us about a demon-possessed man that Jesus delivers in the synagogue. But I'm not going to take you to that story today. All three synoptic gospels tell us Jesus heals how Jesus heals peter's mother-in law, and all three synoptic gospels tell us how the people marvel at the authority of Jesus' teaching. but I'm not going to take you to any of those stories today instead i'm going to take you to the end of that Sabbath day in Capernaum. but by that time, word's gotten out about Jesus, Luke chapter four, verse forty at sunset. The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people. Okay, Luke says the people wait till sunset. That's because dusk marked the end of the Sabbath when they could carry their sick and their needy to Jesus. They bring them and he heals them. We know from archaeological excavation that Capernaum was a decent-sized fishing community with many inhabitants. And Luke gives us a sense that, that people come out of the woodwork to find hope and healing. It seems this continues through the night until dawn. At daybreak, verse 42, Jesus went out to a solitary place. When the sun rises, Jesus gets alone. Mark tells us, He goes to a solitary place to pray. You see, Jesus sneaks away from the people. He peels himself away from their pain to find God. This illustrates the principle that you and I should do something every day to connect to God. And we see Jesus do this Often throughout the gospels He extracts himself from his setting and circumstances In spite of his burdens In spite of his busyness And here in Luke's gospel He doesn't do this because everybody got their miracle He doesn't do this because Every need was met and every disease healed And every marriage restored In fact, verse 42 The people were looking for him And when they came to where he was They tried to keep him from leaving them See, see Capernaum still needs him people beg him to stay they they plead with him to meet their needs even those who receive healing implore him to remain in their community because in his teaching and in his miracles they, they found life and love and hope and healing please stay Jesus please but he said I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent Now, this is an important statement. His words describe his God-given mission. But if you were a citizen of Capernaum that day, all you heard was no. Luke tells us he left the people of Capernaum. Now, he'd return again, and what he left to do over the next three years would be for them and for the whole world. But that morning, that morning on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus left them. Get this. Jesus loved the people of Capernaum. But his love for them doesn't require him to be everything they wanted him to be. God the Father had a plan for God the Son, and it seems that plan meant disappointing some people in the short term. That plan meant Jesus had to say no. Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news. Must translates a little Greek word, day. It means it is necessary, or it has to happen. Luke 2, Jesus said, I had to be in my father's house. Luke 13, Jesus said, I I have to travel to Jerusalem. And Luke 9, Jesus has to suffer and die and rise again. Day is a word of necessity. It is a word of priority. But when it's used by Jesus, the hearers is often left bewildered, shaking their head in disappointment as they wonder why Jesus isn't doing what they think he should be doing. Jesus could have remained behind in Capernaum. He could have made it his permanent residency, healing every need of every person every day. But God gave him a different mission and he had to say no. <laughs> Follow me here. In order to save the world, the Savior of the world said to himself, you can't save the world. Now please don't misunderstand me. Jesus absolutely saved the world by following the Father's plan. But doing so meant he couldn't meet everybody's needs when and where and how they wanted. Question. How do you think Jesus sensed that clarity of purpose? Where do you think he obtained that clear-eyed vision that would give him the courage to disappoint people with genuine needs? Friends, I think the reason Jesus could say no to people in verse 43 is because he said yes to God in verse 42. If you want to find that sense of purpose, if you long to prioritize your time and allocate your energy in a way that fills you with joy and peace instead of guilt and shame... I think it's going to start with you doing something every day to connect to God. Now, as I say that, I want to empathize with anybody who wants to protest that you do not have enough time to connect to God every day. (laughs) Look, do you feel like you're being pulled in a dozen different directions at once? Are you trying to save your company while you counsel your coworker, while you fix your marriage and manage your money, while you shovel your sidewalks and make dinner before you take your daughter to ski school on the way to the grocery store before Bible study? <laughs> there are a lot of things you could do with your time, but you have so little time. You ever complain there, there aren't enough hours in the day to do all the important things you're supposed to do? So some days I think God gave me too much. Some days I think God gave me too many assignments with too little time to complete them. But here, I recall the words of our friend Dallas Willard who maintained that God never gives anyone too much to do. We do that to ourselves or allow others to do that to us. Now, your desire to do all the things for all the people may be a good thing, it can come from a desire to love your neighbors yourself. It can come from a place of passion and compassion where you long to right the wrongs of the world. You, you long to see wholeness and healing. You, you, you may want to save the world for all the right reasons. But, but you know, friends, there may be some not-so-good reasons, too. Sometimes I just want to be the hero. Sometimes I just want to be seen as a savior. I find it fascinating that the Messiah seems to be the only one among us without a messiah complex. <laughs> you know, often our attempts to, to save the world have deleterious side effects. You support a friend while avoiding problems in your own marriage. You, you, you turn the company around while letting your kids down. You help everyone do everything to the neglect of what God wants to do in you. Over the years, I've come to the realization as a pastor and friends, I don't like it. I don't like this realization. And as I say it, I warn you, it may sound harsh at first, but I bet you'll appreciate it if you ponder it. You see, in order to do what God wants me to do, I may not be able to do what you want me to do. Sometimes the stories of Jesus are repeated in other gospel accounts. And the one we just read in Luke shows up in Mark, where we get a little more detail. After the message and the miracles at Capernaum, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Again, we see Jesus by himself, seeking the Father after an exhausting day of giving and going and doing. However, Mark tells us, Simon and his companions went to look for him. Now, this is information Luke doesn't give us. Luke simply said the people looked for Jesus, but Mark adds this detail that it was Simon Peter who leads the search party. Now, search party is probably the right description. The the word here translated look in English is the Greek word katadiocho, And kata dioko means to to search eagerly. It means to to pursue. It means to hunt. See, they weren't simply looking for Jesus. This was a manhunt for the Messiah. Now that may have a ring of familiarity to it. If, If you're a young mother, this is what it may sound like to you. Mom, mommy, mom, mama, mommy, mom, mommy, mom, mama, mommy. There's nowhere you can hide from them. How how many of you moms would say your husband is actually the worst following you around the house? Mom, mommy, mom, mommy, mom. Now, I, I have bad news for mothers of young children. The caravan of kids following you around the house doesn't stop when the kids get older. They just get Louder. And, friends, they never do this to me. They only do this to Suzanne. Mommy, mom, mom, mommy, mom. And then we got a puppy. Guess who little Snowy bonded to? Mom, mommy, mom, mama, mommy, mom. She can't go anywhere without Snowy tagging along. He waits outside the bathroom door. Mom, mommy, mom, mama, mommy, mom, mommy. Good news, moms. You have a high priest who can sympathize with your weakness. Mark 1, verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everybody is looking for you. We sense the desperation in Peter's words. Jesus, don't you know everybody is waiting? This is really important, Jesus. Let's head back into town. However, Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Somehow, in spite of the needs of the people, in spite of Peter's pleading, Jesus separates what he can do from what he should do, even when it means disappointing the people he loves. Now, friends, he's intentionally handing us a model we can follow, a pattern around which we can trace our lives. Okay, Lake Bruner identified other life-giving practices of Jesus in the Gospels besides solitude and prayer. When I first pitched the Cycle of Grace to our church staff, we brainstormed a, a list of the soul-filling things that we see Jesus doing in-, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And some of the things we came-, came up were obvious, like prayer and solitude. But as we thought about it, we identified many not-so-obvious examples of Jesus doing life-giving things, such as friendship, festivals, long walks, eating, celebrating nature, partying, boating, sleeping. Friends, sometimes the best way to tend to your soul is to take care of your body. Here's another practical tip from our friend Dallas. One thing that will help you spiritually is arranging a nice nap. Remember, he says, resting is a primary test of our faith. We rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So, if you're weary, and if you can, take a nap. Rest. Then thank God and return to your day's activities. Here's the point. If we want to live like Jesus lived, we've got to do what Jesus did. And that means we got to do something every day to connect to God. Friends, there are countless ways you can connect to God. You you can read a psalm or a chapter from the the book of Proverbs each day. You you could listen to worship music on your commute. You you could go snowshoeing while listening to a podcast that inspires you to trust God more. You, You can grab coffee with a spiritual friend who helps you pay attention to God when you're distracted from Him. We could go on and on and on and on and on coming up with ways that you could connect to God. And friends, hear me. I'm not offering you a legalistic command here where you must go do this or else. Friends, I'm handing you an opportunity. What if you had the opportunity to know personally the greatest person in the world? Now I realize identifying the greatest person in the world may be a bit subjective. Maybe for you it's Taylor Swift. Maybe for you it's Timothy Chalamet. I don't know who it is for you, but what if you had an opportunity to interact with Timothy Chalamet every day? Every day! Now, there may be something that's stopping you from doing something every day to connect to God. And I wonder if it's your lack of faith. Is it really worth my time? Is it really worth my effort? Well, if your acceptance, sustenance, and significance is tied to your achievement, your answer may be no. It's not worth your time and effort. Because you got to go. you got to produce. But another barrier Maybe people pleasing. See, historically, your time is dictated to you by the will and the wishes of others. Do you need better boundaries? Do you need to get better at saying no to people so you can say yes to God? I'm warning you, saying no to people may mean disappointing a friend from time to time. Say no. Might mean you, you can't live up to your mother's expectations or your colleague's expectations, even your kid's expectations. Oh, to do this effectively, you're going to have to courageously confront your fear of spostas. You know what a sposta is? The posters all look a little different, but they almost always reek of guilt and shame. You're supposed to show up early. You're supposed to stay late. You're supposed to bake the cake with flour grown by hand, uh, ground by hand from the grain of artisan growers. You're supposed to, <laughs> friends. When we live to please people, we exhaust ourselves because there's so many people to please parents, grandparents, employers, employees colleagues, neighbors, board members book club buddies then there are our children parents, we get so concerned about pleasing our preschoolers and preteens we end up failing them as parents and that by the way is not love we'll look once more to Dallas who says we can't live in the kingdom of God and make human approval a significant aim He says we must allow people to think what they will. Watch this. We must lovingly allow people to think what they will. Friends, I find this to be a very balanced statement. First, human approval has value. It's just not the highest value. It can't be a significant aim. Secondly, we can't be obnoxious with our boundaries. I know people who use boundaries like a weapon. I uh, don't care what you think. No! That's arrogant, self-centered boundaries. And that's not what we're talking about. Dr. Willard encouraged us to lovingly allow people to think what they will. Well, Maybe that's a skill we need to learn. You can say no, but empathize with the effect your no will have on them. But here's the truth. For some of us, We're going to have to learn to say no because we really need to do a better job of taking care of ourselves before taking care of others. How much attention have you given your soul in this season? Again and again through the Gospels, we see Jesus, the, the Son of God, pull away to be with God even when there were more people to be healed, even when there were more needs to be met. Luke 5, verse 15, yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Luke tells us the people keep coming. They wanted to hear him and be healed by him. However, Luke interjects, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I think there's something for us to learn here. Do you need to put more focus on your connection with God? Doing so doesn't mean you're selfish. Doing so means you're wise. Because wisdom reminds us you are no good to the rest of us if your soul is withering away within. To illustrate, let me remind you of the last flight you took. Once aboard the plane, you're greeted by a friendly flight attendant who offers you and your fellow passengers a safety demonstration. Now, you may fly often enough you tune them out while they're talking, but I bet you know the spiel. The flight attendant instructs you to make sure your seatbelts are securely fastened. To fasten the belt, insert the metal tip into the buckle and adjust the strap so that it fits low and tight across the lap. The flight attendant points out that all exits are clearly marked with an exit sign. And they encourage us to take a moment to find the nearest exit, which may, in fact, be located behind us. And if the cabin loses pressure, panels will open to reveal oxygen masks. Our flight attendants instruct us to fully extend the mask, place it over your nose and mouth, adjust the mask as needed, then breathe easily. What am I missing? Be sure to adjust your mask before assisting others. That means I need to be sure to adjust my mask before adjusting my wife's mask or my 21-year-old's mask or my 16-year-old's mask or my 16-year-old's mask. Why? Because I'll do them no good in an emergency if I'm conked out in the aisle. Luke tells us, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. and prayed every time we see Jesus pull away to pray he's modeling something for us he modeled this for his disciples later in the gospels Jesus sends out the disciples to teach people and heal people just like he did and the disciples perform miracles just like he did as a result the people go wild they can't get enough of them. Mark 6 verse 30 the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported him all they had done and taught then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place. And get some rest. How many meals do we skip saving the world? I'm not saying it's wrong to skip a meal here or there, okay? I could stand to skip a few myself. To quote a wise sage, I'm one sandwich away from fat. Now, a skipped meal or two along the way may be just fine. But is there such a thing as too many skipped meals? Jesus seems to think so. Verse 32, So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Remember, a disciple is an apprentice. Someone who's learning from Jesus the Master how to live his or her life. First, Jesus models ministry for his disciples. Then Jesus models rest for his disciples. He invites them to hop into a boat and cross the sea to catch a break from the crowds. However, the people hunt them down. Verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving, recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Understand what that is. Some of you have been to the Sea of Galilee. You know what I'm talking about. They're on one side of the Sea of Galilee. They watch Jesus' boat going with his disciples very slowly across the sea and they go around the sea (laughs) as a herd Walking to meet them on the other side. The needs keep coming. They'll never stop. You know, sometimes we need to stop. Maybe you need, maybe you need to stop. Maybe you need to take a breather and readjust your mask before you help the rest of us. Now, can we take rest too far? Yeah. You can turn rest into self-centeredness. It's amazing how quickly me time can become most of the time. So I caution you to find balance. Look, I'm pretty diligent about taking Mondays off. I don't check email. I don't write messages. I, I, I don't disengage from God, but I intentionally disengage from capital. Now, it's not a legalistic Sabbath. When crisis comes, I delay my rest and do my best to help, and that's okay too. Look at verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus finds a way to balance compassion with self-care, and so should we. But friends, that's going to take wisdom. That's going to take thoughtfulness, prayerfulness, intentionality and you gotta own this you have the responsibility to adjust the straps of your own mask how are you doing with that the difficult seasons of life require different spiritual practices have you adjusted your spiritual practices for your current conditions here's one way to know if you haven't if you find yourself getting more discouraged or more irritated you may need to make an adjustment Now, if something you're doing is feeding your soul, keep doing it until it doesn't. But some of us are in a dark season, a a difficult season, a, a sad season. And you may especially need to focus on you. After Jesus received the bad news about his cousin John the Baptist's execution by King Herod, even though it was a busy season of ministry, Matthew 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Here's what I'm going to tell you is, as disciples of Jesus. Put Jesus' words into practice. Put Jesus' practice into practice. Give yourself permission to do what he says and do what he does and do it with him. Withdraw from your world with Jesus by doing something every day to connect to God. Let's pray. Lord, in this moment, I pray you'd help us to find the faith to trace our lives around the pattern you've laid out for us. Help us to make a habit out of connecting with you. Even a daily habit. May we put a priority on our journey with you. Oh, give us the faith to carve out time. I use that verb intentionally. It's going to take some work. It might take a little cutting. But I pray you'd give us the faith to carve out that time. I, I pray you help us to trust that it's worth it, even if in the moment we don't experience Holy Spirit goosebumps. It's not about that. It's like exercising our physical body. When we exercise our soul, it's not about a feeling we get in the moment. It's about what happens. Over a long period of time of faithfulness, consistency, may you help us to trust that it's really worth it. Maybe do whatever we need to do to stay healthy so we can join you in what in your work of saving the world and Lord, Lord, I want to pray for my friends here who don't know you, maybe they're watching online, and they're curious. God, I pray that you would help them to put your words into practice as well. I pray you'd help them to do something every day to connect to you. And when they do, I pray you reveal yourself to them. I pray you open their eyes so that they might see you, that they might see your love and your grace and your forgiveness and I pray they might come to trust you with their whole lives. We pray this together today in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, friends, I got some homework for you. Actually, I got more than a few assignments, okay? Now, remember how homework works at Capital. You don't have to do all the work. But you probably need to do something. Hmm? Because you've got to own your journey of faith. Abraham Lincoln said, you have to do your own growing no matter how tall your grandfather was. (laughs) Now what does that mean in this context? It means you have to take responsibility for your personal relationship with Jesus. I can't read your Bible for you. Now I can pray for you, but I can't pray your prayers for you. So your first assignment is obvious. Do something every day this week to connect to God. Do something every day. Ralph Winter says nothing that is that does not occur daily will never dominate your life. So do something every day this week to connect to God. Okay, doing something daily doesn't mean it needs to take all day, okay? Keep it simple. Especially if you're just starting out with this. Keep it simple. Maybe for you, your assignment is do something new this week to connect to God. Because what you've been doing ain't working. Maybe maybe you need to find a new practice in this season to practice. Here's the third assignment. If you don't know what to do, ask someone what they're doing to connect to God. Learn from each other. That's why we do this stuff in community because, because oh, you might give me a tip, something that's been helping you. Well, we can put that into practice. A couple weeks ago, I introduced you to this old Bible study called Experiencing God. And I'm hearing from many of you that you're finding life in this. The problem is I introduced that on a Saturday and a Sunday at our gatherings, and by the end of the week, Amazon was sold out of them. And I don't know what that means. But heavens, as I've spoken to many of you, you're doing this this study and you're finding life in it. And a word that I hear that's coming back to me is you don't know how else to say it and for some of you church kids you, you've you said the only word I can use to describe what I'm experiencing is revival because your eyes are being opened to see how much God loves you and how he, he wants you to participate with him in his work in the world and that gets pretty fun okay Now, as I said a couple weeks ago, I come from a different theological tradition than the authors. I'd probably say a few things in this study a little differently than they would. You'll be all right. God's Spirit will help you discern. Uh, but, But take and read. See what God does, what God teaches you. Here's been one of my favorite things I've been doing lately. I've been reading the New Testament in the New Testament for everyone. Okay, let me explain this. This is a translation translated by uh, my favorite New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright. Okay, uh, the, the New Testament forever is, is a fresh, it's a dynamic translation for a new generation of Bible readers. It, 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 he, and it, he includes brief, uh, thoughtful introductions for every book of the New Testament. And I'm telling you, I am finding great joy reading some of these familiar texts from this new translation. Um, uh, my personal favorite thing to do is I have it on audio. And I, I know N.T. Wright's voice so very well. He's British, he's wonderful, and he reads the Bible to me. And I'm just fine with that, okay? So you might want to get it on Audible or something, okay? The New Testament for everyone. One thing I'm doing, in addition to experiencing God in this season, can I give you another tip? You want to ask me what, what I've found joy in lately? It's a podcast. It's called Things Above by James Bryan Smith. Listened to a little bit of it yesterday, and I'm telling you, I love that man. I love the people he interviews. I I love the subjects he he deals with. Maybe that's something you can do in this season. Uh, About a year ago, I recommended to to you um, the YouTube videos uh, that are called Become New. It's a YouTube channel hosted by John Ortberg. Um, And what he does is every weekday he releases a, a 10 to 12 minute video about some aspect of life in Jesus. And I've heard from many of you how you've started to watch these videos and you find life in them. 10 to 12 minutes, friends. It's a simple thing you can do every day to connect to God. Now, we'll going to give you another assignment. You ready? Do your thing. (laughs) There I go again, slipping back into my linguistic roots. But... Here's what I mean by this. When I say do your thing, what I mean is you got to do what works for you. I'm very pragmatic about spiritual practices because the things that I practice, I gave you some ideas of things I'm doing. Great. But those those may be ridiculous for you. May not fit your world or your personality or your your relationship to Jesus. Guess what? Great. Do something else. You got to figure out what works for you. And get creative with this. God made you uniquely. It would not surprise me at all if you have a very unique relationship with him. I have three daughters, and I have very different relationships with all three of them, and I love them equally. My word. But they're all a little different. So of course you're going to be different with God than I'm different with... with, with than I'm different than I am with God, okay? So uh, many of you know my, my old friend and colleague, Kelly Johnson... Um, he's a great leader, and one of the things he does around here is he's an artist. So he's the artist that that uh, you see behind all these gorgeous graphics that you, that that are displayed on these screens every week. And there, there's this the spiritual practice that Kelly has that he's been practicing for a long time. And you know when he when he creates a graphic, whether it's that phrase that I say over and over in my message, or maybe it's uh, a Bible verse that we put onto a, a slide. Well, he hand-draws those, free-hands them, on his iPad with an Apple Pen. Okay? And one of the things that, that he's learned to do is as he writes out and draws the, the sketchwork of a Bible verse, he's meditating on the Bible verse, focusing on every word and every phrase and trying to let it sink into his heart. Recently, he created um, a graphic for the entire Psalm 23. Go ahead and roll this. Look at this video. This is a time-lapse video of Kelly designing. Okay? And as he's going over these words, he's underscoring, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. God, you give me everything I need to do everything you want me to do. As he's Sketching out and resketching and oh that didn't work. I want to erase that. I want to start over. What is he doing? Letting it sink into his soul. The psalmist says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And as he comes to the end, you see the result. Now that's one of Kelly's most important spiritual practices. Guess who's not going to practice that? This guy. Right? You know, everywhere Suzanne goes, she sings. She doesn't even know she does this, but she she does it all the time everywhere she goes, and I love it about her. It's one of my favorite things about her. And it's one of her spiritual practices, just singing worship to God everywhere she goes. Guess who's not going to do that one? this guy God doesn't even want to hear that okay but you gotta do your thing got it what's your thing what and by the way don't feel pressure get excited go go on a journey of trial and error to discover what your thing is in this season got it rest in that trust him with that you want some ideas um here, here's a place you can go um it's a list of recommended resources, okay? And uh, in fact, if you want to get out your phone, scan this QR code right now on the screen, and it's going to send you to our website. And on it, I have a list of, of books that I recommend, in fact, the two books I just recommended are on there, along with with my my description and my personal recommendation to you, okay? Dozens and dozens of books, different types of subjects, we've organized them by category. And it's like, look, you, you might need to do a little digging is a point. You might need to do a little thinking. Get intentional about coming up with your own plan for spiritual growth in this season. Maybe one of these books will help you, okay? Go to our website, check it out, okay? Um, one more assignment. Uh, listen to the last two messages in this series if you miss them, okay? You can access them from uh, Capital Church website, capitalchurch.com. You could go to our YouTube account and find them. But... Uh, you know, it's important you understand what we mean by this cycle of grace. So that first session particularly may be important to you as, as we go through this study. Now, um, I, I don't have a slide for this. I, I should have created this. I didn't. But I want to tell you, next week, we are going to take a break from the cycle of grace. And you're going to take a break from Troy. And I want to tell you why. Because Jeff's back. Jeff Lucas will be with us next week. And if you don't know who Jeff is, he's a dear friend of our church for for, uh, 25 years. And uh, you will not want to miss next weekend at Capitol. I hope you can join us for one of our weekend gatherings. Stand with me. Friends, here's a verse for you. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. What a reminder. Jesus Often, withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That verse, now you know, designed by our friend Kelly, uh, and the graphic that follows are both available for you to download. You can watch from our website and our social media accounts. As always, you, you you can if you have a prayer request, you can send us an email care at capitalchurch com because we've got a prayer team who prays over your needs. If you're here in the building. And you'd like to receive prayer before you go. up. We'll have some people at the front ready to pray for you. So make your way up as our time together concludes. This is what I want to pray over all of you today. Friends, as you work and serve and give and go, may you also do something every day to connect to King Jesus so you might experience the abundant life he promised. Thanks for coming to church today. Grace and peace.